coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Happy New Year, everybody. It's time to kiss 2011 goodbye and say hello 2012. We're going to help you get started on the right home improvement projects this year if you pick up the phone and call us at 1-888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-3974. Give us a call right now. We would love to talk to you about what you have on your to-do list for 2012. If you hit the jackpot with new electronics as holiday gifts this year, good for you. But here's a question. What do you do with all the old stuff? We've got some great advice this hour on how you can recycle your e-trash and maybe and maybe make some money along the way. And also ahead this hour, making home improvements that can stand the tough weather ahead takes some planning. We've got advice from this old house landscaping expert, Roger Cook, on how to build a paved or even a brick walkway that can stand up to the freezing climates. Plus, did you treat yourself to a fresh cut tree for the holidays? Has it now turned into a uh, needle dropping dilemma? It's happened to so many of us. And unfortunately, many communities no longer haul away those fresh cut trees after the holidays. That's why this hour we've got a way that you can give your tree a second life. And this hour, we're giving away a bamboo workbench from Gladiator Garage Works, and that's going to help you organize all of those brand new tools you got this holiday season. It's a great prize and a great way to start off your next home improvement project. If you'd like to win, pick up the phone and call us right now at 888-MONEYPIT. It's worth over 300 bucks. going to go out to one caller that reaches us with their question at 888-MONEYPIT. Leslie, who's first? Patricia in Oregon is working on a tool shed. How can we help you? Well, uh, the tool shed is, has uh, been established and has been standing for probably uh, 15 years, and it's in need of a new roof. Has it uh, served you well as the home for many of your tools for projects all those years? Yeah, it's great. It, it works it's as a uh, tack barn and a wood shed and a tool shed, and um, uh, it's definitely um, a good addition to the home and property. All right, so we want to take care of it. So you're looking at a roof for it. Yeah. Uh, the reason I was calling is because I in the northwest here where we live where it gets a, lo- a lot of rain and problems with mold and that kind of thing, uh, I see some of our neighbors have gone to these metal roofs. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that they're quite expensive, um, but I thought I would call and get your opinion as to whether or not it seems worth it. Well, if it's a sturdy tool shed... And one that's going to be around for a long time. If you put a metal roof on it, it's pretty much going to be the only roof you'll ever need. Um, I will say that the metal roofs have become a little less expensive over time. And because it's a very small building, it certainly could be a do-it-yourself project. You know, you could simply use a corrugated metal roof for that. There are dozens of corrugated patterns to choose from. You know, it's not terribly expensive. It will be more expensive than asphalt. But it's going to be a roof that's going to last the life of that building. Okay. Do you think it's important for the an outbuilding roof to match the roof of the home? Depends. Is it in the back of the house? Uh, yeah, it is. But we're kind of exposed all the way around. It's in a mm-hmm. rural area. Uh, you know, it's kind of a it's a decor question, I think, more than anything else, or a style mm-hmm. question more than anything else. But you know, if the if a lot of times folks have like sheds that that totally mimic the look and the feel of the exteriors at home. If that's something you'd like to do, then, then maybe you want to make them consistent. But uh, from a structural perspective, I think the metal roof will give you many years of protection. What about from an investment one? you think that's it's 
Uh, you know, if it was on your house, I'd say that it would definitely be a valuable addition to your house. The fact that it's on a tool shed, I don't think we could necessarily prove that a, a metal roof on a tool shed over an asphalt roof on a tool shed right. has ever had any reflection on the value of a property. Okay. I mean, it certainly could make it uh, more attractive if you have that kind of a buyer, but I, I don't necessarily think it will impact your home's value one way or the other. Okay, very good. All right, well, thank you very much. You're welcome, Patricia. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Michael in Kentucky's on the line, and he's got a question about a gazebo. What can we do for you today? Oh, well, I want to try and find a way to use my gazebo during the winter. I mean, it's kind of cold here in Kentucky, and the gazebo's made out of wood. And um, I'm looking to put like a fire pit kind of thing, but I don't want to use the wood mm-hmm. um, okay. because it's made out of wood. I don't want it to go up in flames. <laughs> That's wise. <laughs> But your gazebo probably has a roof on it, right? Oh uh, yeah, it has a roof. Yeah, so I mean, you can't really put a fire under it. You just because you, you know, unless it's a teepee with a big hole in the top, you know, there's no place for the smoke to go. You're going to collect a lot of heat up there, and, and it's it's really generally uh, a bad idea. So really, uh, the question is, how can you heat your gazebo in the winter months? And there's a good reason we don't heat gazebos in winter months because they're not really designed to be enclosed. So I guess it's kind of a, a out of the question kind of thing then. I mean, it would it would seem. I mean, typically, if you want to put a, a, some sort of a heating system onto your deck, then you could use a fire pit, and you could design it, or even have a like we have a fire, uh, a portable sort of fire pit that we wheel out onto the patio and and put a couple of uh, you know logs in there. But you know, when you're in a gazebo like that, you can't create a fire because you're going to burn the roof down. So it's a hard space to use. If you had an open patio area or maybe an open area of your yard, Michael, that would be a smarter place to to create, you know, a, a gathering place where you could actually really build a true fire pit. You know, there's a great uh, article online on our website on how to build a fire pit. There's also a radio show that we did with Roger Cook from this old house where he gave us his tips on how to build a fire pit. Okay, so basically it would probably be a better thing to put maybe outside of my gazebo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And gazebos are just not in, intended to be enclosed. Well, that sounds like it uh, answers my question pretty well. All right, Michael, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope that 2012 is everything that you and your family dream of. And if you're dreaming of some home improvement projects, give us a call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We'd love to give you a hand at 888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-3974. Coming up, we've got tips on how you can recycle all those old electronics and make room for all the new gadgets you scored over the holidays. Hey, this is Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs, and I've just been told that Tom and Leslie might have a dirtier job than me. I find that hard to believe, but then I heard they worked in a pit. That's a money pit, but still filthy. 888-MONEY-PIT. The Money Pit is brought to you by Bostitch, professional quality hand tools, pneumatic and cordless nailers and staplers. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And why don't you become part of the Money Pit Fund by picking up the phone and giving us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT. We're going to help you with your home improvement projects, but we're also going to give away a great prize to one lucky caller. We've got up for grabs on this first show of the new year, the Gladiator Bamboo Modular Workbench. And it's made of one of nature's strongest and most renewable materials 
materials. It's made of solid bamboo. It's got a great work surface with a UV cured protective coating and a heavy duty tubular steel leg system that's going to stand up to any project. The Gladiator Bamboo Modular Workbench is worth more than 300 bucks, but it could be yours for free. So pick up the phone and give us a call at 888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-3974. One caller in today's program is going to win that great workbench from our friends at Gladiator. Hey, if you're looking for a way to get rid of old electronics and make some room for the new ones you scored this holiday season, you are in luck. There are a growing number of ways to turn e-trash into treasure. First, there are several websites now that will allow you to mail in the used electronics for a check or a PayPal deposit. For example, take a look at gazelle.com. They accept old cell phones, cameras, even DVDs, but don't hold on to your stuff for too long or it could lose its value. And in addition, there are several national retailers that will let you trade in future purchases, including places like Sears, Kmart, Best Buy, Walmart, and a bunch of others. Just ask about sellback programs at any of the retailers that you go to. Mm-hmm. You know, another idea is to donate that old desktop computer or cell phone to a charity and you can take a tax deduction. So check your local YMCA or even a Boys and Girls Clubs or a shelter. And finally, if you just want to be rid of your stuff or it's too old to really even be good to anybody, look into recycling programs so that you can get rid of electronics properly, especially if they have batteries, which you are not supposed to just toss into your household trash. They need to be recycled. So do your research before you just pitch something. 888-666-3974. Let us help you research your next home improvement project. Give us a call right now. Alan, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? Well, yes. I First, I'd like say I uh, appreciate your show and always enjoy listening to it and learning things. Well, thanks, Alan. What's going on in, uh, in your house? Got basically a house that's divided in two by a wall. Okay. And on the one side is a living room, office, and entryway. The living room has a fireplace insert in it. Okay. And the living room runs too warm. And on the other side of the wall where the kitchen uh, dining area is runs too cool. How can I get some of that heat from the warm side to the cool side? Well, the fireplace is not designed to be a central heating system, so obviously it's going to be hotter uh, in the rooms where that are closer to the fireplace. That's the difference between a fireplace and a, and a centralized heating system because the centralized systems distribute the heat evenly. Now, that said, if you were to add perhaps some openings, some additional openings, or if you were to add, say, um, you know what might be cool is a is a duct booster, but not really with a duct. What a duct booster is is a fan that fits in the side of a, of a standard like uh, uh, register, duct register. Sure. It's designed to fit inside of it. And if you had a hole in that wall between the two and you put this duct booster in it, it would basically be a fan that was on 24-7 that blew air from one side to the other. And so if you did something like that that moved air from the hotter area into the cooler area, then you may be able to balance that a little bit. But but understand that you're trying to do something that's non-conventional. The fireplace, you know, <laughs> in, in a very... doesn't bother me. Okay. The fireplace in a really old house before we had central heating systems was in the middle of the home for a reason because then it did heat the entire house. Mm-hmm. But in a modern house, when we have it on the end of the house... It's not going to get throughout to the whole house. It's not really something that uh, it's designed to do. You can kind of help it along if you provide that path for the warm air to move to the cooler spaces. Here's my thought. Uh, Opening up and putting a vent in high, just somewhere near the uh, fireplace, 
and drawing air down through between two studs and bringing it out low on the other side and maybe a duck booster in that kind of a situation or some Possibly. other kind of a vent fan. Yeah, possibly. If you mounted the duck booster on the kitchen side, the colder side, and then the register on the uh, fireplace side becomes a return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's possible. What kind of heat do you have in your house? Uh, we have a heat pump, uh, but it's very ineffective when you get below about 32 yeah, degrees yeah, they and are, you've they got are. backup heat yeah. electric. Right. Yeah, I see. I see. Do you have a space heat or anything like that in the other room? Yes, and I'd just as soon take advantage of some of this heat if I can. Sure, I understand. We're generating the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever thought about, uh, is, is it possible to put an additional doorway in between the two spaces? Would that make any design sense? Probably not in this case. Okay, well, I mean, those are your options. Now, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is that there is such a thing as a wood furnace. Oh, I sure. Mean, there, there are furnaces that are designed to heat on wood, that heat with wood, and, and have duct systems that and blowers that that move the air through so you know there may be some other alternative to that heat pump do you have natural gas in your area or is that just not a possibility not here my druthers are uh, geothermal but uh, that's just druthers yeah (laughs) but that's a big investment even with the rebates it's a big dollar about but over a period of time it's a good return too yeah absolutely well thank you very much well, you're very welcome, and good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. Kelly in West Virginia, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you with your winterization project? Well, um, I guess my, my biggest thing is um, I am hoping to live with my son during the winter months. And so what I need to do to make sure my home is, is winterized, not pipes aren't going to freeze and that kind of stuff when I'm gone. So Kelly, are you going to turn? Are you going to turn the heat off? Um, I would think I would turn it down. I don't think I'd turn it off here in West Virginia. Right. It's easy to. Right. Well, I'm trying to determine what level of winterization advice you need. If you're going to turn the heat down, there are a few things that you're going to want to do. First of all, you're obviously going to turn the water off to the building, and you would do that at the main. The second thing that you would do is you would be sure to close off any hose bibs that go through the walls that those pipes don't freeze and break. You're also going to want to add antifreeze to all of the fixtures. So you would put some in the tank of the toilet and in the bowl of the toilet and a little bit in all of the drains of the house. This is why the reason we do this is because if uh, you did lose heat and, and everything froze, at least those those fixtures would not crack. Now, you may want to look into a freeze alert system. You know, there are, um, there are different types of, of monitors out there that can monitor your house for a temperature differential. And if it drops below a certain temperature, actually alerts you. Is there going to be somebody that can kind of keep an eye on your house every once in a while for you while you're away? Yeah, I, I have friends that could pop in. Okay. I think it's a real good idea for somebody to check it every once in a while. But turning the water off before you leave is going to make sure that if anything happens to those pipes and you get a a burst that the only water that's going to leak out is what's actually contained in the pipe it's not just going to run and run and run and run you understand Mm -hmm. should i when i close off the water at the main should i run the water through the sink and such to get out as much out of the lines as well certainly you could open up all of the faucets you know the, the best way the best way to do this is to actually have all the pipes drained you know, in, in our part of the country, there's a lot of folks that have uh, homes that they close up for the winter, and what they'll do is they'll drain all the water out of the pipes. Uh, a plumber will come in and usually blow compressed air through the plumbing system so that all the water gets out of the house. 
uh, and then they completely turn the heat off for the whole season. Now, there is a risk in doing that, and that is that you're going to have moisture that kind of builds up in the house, and you will find that sometimes wallpaper can fall off the walls or doors can swell, you know, or that sort of thing can happen. So I do think it's a good idea to keep the heat on at a minimum, but if you want to be super conservative, you could have all the water drained from, from the pipes. And in fact, if you're going to take that step with a plumber, you may ask the plumber while they're there if there's a possibility that they could put in a drain valve to the plumbing system because typically what they'll do is at the lowest part of the of the plumbing arrangement, they'll tap in a new valve so that basically if you open up all the faucets in the house and then open up that valve, that any water that's in those lines will, will completely drain out due to gravity. Okay. That's real helpful. I thank you. You're welcome, Kelly. Good luck with that project and, and enjoy uh, the warmer months in California. Thank you very much. Jim in North Carolina has a question about insulation. How can we help you with that? Hi. I went to a uh, seminar, and they they brought out some stuff that looked like heavy-duty aluminum foil kind of a thing that they yep. talked about lining the house and the yep. attic with, and it would be so good on insul- uh, cutting your expenses down and all of that. Yeah, was that seminar uh, paid for by the uh, Radiant Barrier manufacturer? Yes. <laughs> Just took a guess, Jim. And on your way out the door, you could buy a whole bunch of yeah, it. Yeah, you know, and and uh, they wouldn't take any money right then, but they of would course definitely not. come to your house afterwards. Oh, yeah. Setting you up for the hard clothes, buddy. And, you know, I, I thought that, uh, you know, they could uh, buy me a dinner, but I'm not necessarily going to buy snake oil because I bought a dinner. <laughs> well, look, I mean, can Radiant Barrier save you energy? Yes, but it's still somewhat of an unproven technology as far as I'm concerned. And okay. I think that there are much better ways for you to reduce your uh, energy consumption inside your house than uh, using Radiant Barrier. Well, I was wondering, too, about the moisture buildup. You know, here in North Carolina, we get right. a, lot of, a lot of humidity, and I thought, yeah. If you trap all that in the house. Well, that's another reason. It's very difficult to put it in in an existing house, too, because you've got all those issues to contend with. But, you know, the things, the basic things that you can check, Jim, is to make sure in your attic that you have uh, 19 to 22 inches of insulation. That's really critical. And then to make sure you have plenty of ventilation. How old is your house, Jim? You know, I'm not sure. It's it's an older house. There okay. is two whirly gigs up on the... Uh, the whirly whirly gigs look pretty, but they don't. They're not very effective as a ventilation strategy. Oh, my um, wife just go, told me it was made in 1981. Okay, well, go to our website and look up ridge and soffit ventilation, and you'll see some articles there where we talk about the fact that uh, a good vent, like a ridge vent at the peak of the roof, and then another one at the soffit, kind of works together because air enters at the soffit, rides up underneath the uh, roof sheathing, takes out moisture. Uh, in the winter and uh, heat in the summer, and then exits at the ridge. That's a real effective 24-7 ventilation strategy for an attic. Those two things, I think, will do a lot more for you in terms of energy savings than a, than an, than a radiant barrier. <laughs> so I don't need to wrap my house in aluminum foil. No, no, no not at all. The foil <laughs> the foil's good for, like, you know, baking a turkey and things like that, but as far as your house, not so much. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome, Jim. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. If you've ever noticed uneven bricks or pavers on walkways in your neighborhood, it might be because of the weather where you live. Still ahead, we're going to tell you how to install a walkway for a freezing climate that's going to stay put. On the Money Pit Radio Show, pick up the telephone, fix up your home suite. I'm calling 888 Money Pit. 
Benefit is brought to you by Isonine. If you're building, remodeling, or re-insulating, demand Isonine spray foam insulation. Isonine fills the spaces other insulations miss for up to 50% energy savings. Learn more and find a dealer at Isonine.com. I-C-Y-N-E-N-E.com. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And if winter gets harsh where you are, you can get armed with all the info that you need to be prepared, including what you need to know to prevent winter's worst, like ice dams, snow damage, and frozen pipes. It's all online at moneypit.com. Justin in Kentucky is on the line and is calling in about three wood decks around his money pit, which equals a whole heck of a lot of work. Welcome, Justin. Hello. Me and my wife are wanting to uh, remove the paint from our decks that, okay. that are on their carpet right now and try to get the original wood look. But we have had problems with that. We've tried using a pressure washer, and that is actually ate into the wood a couple times. And so... I then went to sanding and gave up on that pretty quick. That was taking quite a bit of time. And we have since painted over, but now the paint is peeling off. The new paint is peeling off, but the old paint is still right there. Mm-hmm. I was curious if you have any recommendations on how to remove paint from, from wood. Is it actually paint, or is it more of a solid stain? It is a paint. So it's actually paint. I mean, really, what you're going to have to do to get the paint off of that is to use a stripping agent, you know, like a chemical product that's meant to be rolled on, sit there, eat away the paint, remove it from the surface, and then you pressure wash that away. I think the issue you've had with the pressure washer that's given you some, you know, damage to the lumber itself is that maybe you were a little too aggressive with your pressure washing technique because the pressure washer can damage and can splinter the surface as you found out. So start with a good stripper. A lot of people make them bare. Um, pretty much anybody. Go to the home center. You can find one. Flood, bare. They all make good ones. Apply it the way that it says to be applied. Let it sit there. Pressure wash it off. You may need to come in and sand a couple of problem areas where you can't get that paint off. And then rather than putting a paint on, I would go with a solid stain only because a paint sits on top of the surface of the wood and a stain is going to sort of penetrate into the structure of the wood itself and apply the color you know, more deeper into the strips of lumber. So it's going to stay there. So you'll probably get better results. But with a wood deck, you're going to have to refinish it probably in, you know, three to five years because that's just how long it lasts. That helps. I will try that. All right, Justin, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, if you're thinking of installing a new walkway, there are things to consider beyond the prettiest materials, especially if you live in a climate where frost is a problem. That's right. And when soil freezes, it expands and it can lift and even break apart walkways, patios, sidewalks, or driveways. But that won't happen if it's built right. Landscaping contractor Roger Cook from TV's This Old House is here to tell us how. Welcome, Roger. Thanks for having me. Now, when we build a foundation, we're accustomed to digging down below that frost line to make sure the foundation won't move. But with a walkway, it's not always possible to dig down that deep, nor would you want to. How do we keep that from moving? Well, whenever I build a walkway or a driveway or any sort of paving area, I like to go down a foot. I take out 12 inches of material. Usually you get 
topsoil in the top six to eight inches, but I want to go down and make sure I'm below that topsoil level. Usually the topsoil is brown and it holds moisture. Draining is really the key here. Right. That moisture is what's going to freeze and expand and move your walkway. So we dig down a foot. We usually put in what's called pack, and pack is a combination of stone dust and three-quarter inch stone, and we bring that up in three-inch lifts. In other words, we put down three inches, then we take a compactor, pack it down, and keep working our way up. The great thing about pack is it packs up hard. It's a good, great base for the walkway, but it drains. It lets that water get out from underneath the walkway. Now, I know a lot of people talk about when when we're discussing base prep, they talk about the frost line. You want to be below the frost line. How do you know where the frost line is? Is that a visual cue? Is it something you know by region? Or like you mentioned, is it just, okay, I've seen the change in the soil and now I'm good? Below the frost line only pertains to concrete walls and footings for your house. No one is going to dig down here in New England four feet deep for a walkway to get below the frost okay. line. Okay. So that's where picking the material comes into place and how you put the walkway in. I like to do walkways in patios dry, which means there's no mortar and no cement mm-hmm. involved there, set on the pack on an inch of stone dust, and then the final top piece is put in. If you look, put in a concrete walkway, it doesn't it can't move. It structurally, it cracks. Pavers can move, um, but they're set in stone dust. And if worse comes to worse, they do move too much. You can reset them again by just scraping out a little stone dust and putting them back. You can't do that with a concrete walkway. So does that make pavers a much better choice for a, a harsh climate than compared to, say, concrete? It does in my mind. Up here in New England, mm-hmm. concrete is bound to fail sooner or later. Um in warmer climates, it's a perfect solution. It's very efficient to go down, cost-effective, and will last forever in areas like Florida. Now, what about sealers once the project is done? Do you think it's a good idea to put some sort of a sealer on a paver? Does that actually help uh, slow down the absorption of water, or does it let the water in and trap it? No, it, it definitely helps keep water from getting in. But what I tell everyone is to take a couple of bricks, seal them first, and see if you like the look because it's a total different look. It tends to be like the pavers are wet or shiny. Oh, so, it gives it almost a gloss. Right. So make sure you look at some before you do the whole walkway and then decide you don't like the look. Mm-hmm. And there is a reapplication thing. It doesn't. It isn't one application lasts forever. So there is some maintenance involved. It has to be uh, repeated from time to time. Right. Exactly. Good advice. Roger Cook from TV's This Old House. He's a guy that knows how to build it once, build it right, so you really don't have to build it over and over and over again. Thanks so much for stopping by the Money Pit. It's my pleasure. All right. You can catch the current season of This Old House and Ask This Old House on PBS. For your local listings, visit thisoldhouse.com. And This Old House is brought to you by Lumber Liquidators. Lumber Liquidators, hardwood floors for less. Still ahead, we're going to tell you about a very green way to give your fresh-cut Christmas tree a second life after the holidays. You live in a body pit. Money Pit is brought to you by ODL's Add-On Blinds. Enclosed behind tempered glass, they eliminate the need for dusting and exposed cords, both problems with traditional blinds. Plus, they easily install over your existing entry glass. Visit www.odl.com to learn more. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. 
Happy New Year, everybody. Give us a call right now. We'll start your New Year's off right, because this hour we're giving away a $300 bamboo modular workbench from our pals over at Gladiator Garage Works. There is plenty of space underneath to dock two Gladiator ready-to-assemble modules. It's got a heavy-duty set of steel tubular legs that's going to stand up to any project. And new from Gladiator Garage Works, they've got an interactive online tool called the Design Studio that can totally help you design your garage storage space. You can visit gladiatorgw.com to learn more about that. But pick up the phone right now, join the program, tell us about your home improvement project, the one that you're going to tackle this year. Maybe it's a New Year's resolution for your home. Let us help you get it done at 888-MONEYPIT. Well, a traditional part of the post-Christmas cleanup has been leaving your old Christmas tree on the curbside for your local garbage collector to pick up and tote to the landfill. Well, more and more often these days, however, landfills are off limits to Christmas trees and most other foliage or even yard waste. Now, if your local landfill refuses to take your Christmas tree, then you might be interested to know that many local arborists are offering Christmas tree recycling services. Not only do recycled Christmas trees save on landfill space, they also provide much-needed and very good quality mulch for the professional and amateur gardeners. Now, the National Arborist website can actually help you locate disposal sites in your area. Their website is natlarb.com. That's natlarb.com. Roger in Wisconsin, you've got the money, but how can we help you today? I have a home, and it has a lot of paneling in it. That is a product called Luan. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, at one time I had some remodeling done, and there was a divider between living room, dining room, and kitchen, and they took that off, and we put uh, sheetrock and, you know, sprayed it and then painted it. But there's still quite a bit, and it's a split level, an entryway, a hallway, and and then two of the bedrooms. And I was wondering if there was any other application could do instead of having it all taken off and... uh, sheetrock put on and have you considered painting the paneling yeah well that was my question you know okay. before i said i thought me i listened to your program and i thought it'd be a good question to ask somebody. it is a good question and it's a definitely a doable project and so many okay. of us are, are stuck with the paneling that's been put up over the last decades sure uh and and there's no reason you can't paint it the key is to make sure that you get a good even coat and so priming is especially important even mm-hmm. though there's a finished surface and it's not it's not the kind of material that's going to absorb but if you prime it first then you can paint it and i think that we've even seen some folks to depending on the style of the paneling and the room and the room do it with multiple colors or complementary colors right leslie yeah i mean it really depends you can make it work obviously there's a built-in stripe for you it depends on how you use the space and what your style is whether you're going to go with that or not generally i find that the crispest cleanest look when you're painting over paneling is a glossy white for some okay. reason, that just gives you a good neutral base. It really pops. It makes the paneling look, you know, not offensive. Right. And, you know, it, it's it's wearable, if you will. It's something that will work with any sort of decor. Mm-hmm. And uh, now the, between the paneling, each panel, there is a wooden strip, which would probably I would take off. but And then that would have to be probably a little gap in there and would have to be filled. Yeah, if you fill it, though, on a wall surface, that's never going to stick. Okay. Why don't you work the strip into the design? It'll okay, give you a little depth to it, a little texture sure. to it. Mm-hmm. Once everything goes white, it sort of just becomes one. Blends right in, right? Yeah. Right. Well, I appreciate your input. Any particular uh, 
brand or type of um, primer you would use? I, I would use a Kills oil-based primer on the wood. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more of a hassle to put on, but I think it's going to dry nice, flow well, and you'll be really pleased with the top coat, with the condition of the top coat after you put the paint on. Uh, and then uh, latex would go over that? Latex can go on top of mm-hmm. that, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. All right. Well, listen, thank you very much. I appreciate your answer. You're welcome, Roger. Good luck with that project in Chippewa Falls. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. All right, Marion Delaware is thinking of taking on a stucco project. How can we help you with the job? I've got some stucco problems, and I don't know whether it's good to have it done now or to wait until the spring. Well, what's going on with the stucco? Well, it's starting to peel off. It's kind of in places down, uh, like they were in back of bushes that I trimmed down, mm-hmm. and um, it's come away from the cinder block. Okay. Well... You know, in the wintertime, when you get a lot of moisture that gets behind the stucco, and it freezes and sort of peels away or expands and chips off, uh-huh. um, that's when you're going to get the most damage. So you might want to wait until the spring or the summer or the early fall to do a project like that because you're oh, going to okay. get uh, the best adhesion. You'll have better, warmer, drier temperatures for application. Uh-huh. Now, the repair is going to depend on how big of a damaged area you have. If it's just some small areas that need to be patched, you're probably going to use um, an epoxy patching compound. If it's a larger area, really big space, then you're going to probably use more of a stucco product and not a patching compound and basically replace what's there. Okay. It's really a job for someone that's very handy or a professional. Oh, I already have someone in mind. All right. Well, then... then I think maybe you want to put that project off to the spring and it'll look great all summer long. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Still to come, one of the most common dishwasher dilemmas is water that won't drain from the bottom. For that, though, you don't need a costly repair or even a replacement. We're going to tell you what you do need next. The Money Pit is presented by HomeTalk.com. Join Tom and Leslie on HomeTalk.com and log on to become part of the community of folks who love taking care of their homes at HomeTalk.com. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And why don't you get connected with the Money Pit when you fan us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter? You can get home improvement tweets sent directly to your computer or your mobile device and also learn about special features coming up on the show. Just follow at Money Pit or search Money Pit on Facebook and you'll find us there. You can also win cool stuff. Totally. And we're going to let you know what the prizes are and who won. So check us out on a daily basis. And you know what? While you're online, you can email us or post your question. And I've got one here from Kay in New York who wrote, my dishwasher always has a small amount of water left in the bottom at the end of a wash cycle. I suspect that the filter at the bottom of the unit may be blocked and need cleaning. Is there any safe way to get inside the little plastic cage at the bottom of the unit to clean it out? You know, you may not have to because the typical reason that water stays in the bottom of the dishwasher after the cycle is a clogged drain line in the dishwasher. This is the typically a black hose that goes from the dishwasher up into the drain underneath your kitchen sink mm-hmm, or like into your yeah, or into the side of the garbage disposer. So what I would do is turn power off 
not run water, not run dishwasher, and pull that hose out from where it connects to the sink and take a look inside. You may find that it's all scummed up and guz scuzzed up with dishwasher debris and food that particles and all that. <laughs> I was trying to figure out a nice way to say it, but let's just say it gets pretty dirty. Um, you need to clean that out. And if you do, it'll drain fully the next time you run the dishwasher. All right. Gross, Kay. Get under that sink and get ready for some scuzzy tubing. Ugh. Good words, Tom. All right. Next up, we've got Sally in Michigan who posted, Our water heater is a long way from the kitchen sink and dishwasher. We'd like to put something in line under the sink or in the basement to give us hot water until the hot water from the water heater reaches the sink. What do you suggest? Well, I mean, you can put a recirculating system in that constantly takes water from the water heater and moves it through the hot water pipes in the house. But it runs all the time, and it's expensive. And because you're going to be circulating a lot more water back to the water heater, your water heater is going to run more of the time, uh, and that's going to be expensive too. The real way that you change this is you you short cycle the distance between the water heater and the um, dishwasher itself or the sink itself by splitting the plumbing system into two, essentially, and using tankless water heaters. Because they're small, you can put one closer to you know the action in the kitchen and perhaps a, a bathroom on the first floor, that kind of thing. And and then another one maybe on your second floor, if that's the way your house is configured, to get water quickly to the bathrooms up there. Other than that, I, I really wouldn't recommend putting in a recirculating system because I think it's going to actually end up costing you more in terms of energy. Way more to operate. To operate. Exactly right. All right. Good luck with that. Now I've got a quick one here from Carol in Philadelphia who writes, I have a green substance forming on an outside brick wall below my flat roof at every spot where the roof meets the brick wall. Do you have any ideas? Well... I'll say this, where the roof meets the brick wall, she's probably talking about what we call the parapet wall. That's the side wall. Mm-hmm. It's going to be colder there than the wall above where the roof doesn't hit because it's connected to the rest of the sort of structure of the building. So I suspect what you're getting is, is a more condensation in those spots. You're getting probably some uh, plant growth that's sticking to the outside, and that's growing into green moss. So I would simply remove that and treat this as a maintenance issue and clean it with a siding wash, and that should make it come away. Mm-hmm. And you know what, Carol? You can also use bleach and water. Just be sure to cover any sort of plantings below, and that'll really do the trick. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. And Happy New Year, everybody. We hope it is a wonderful, wonderful year for you and your family. And remember, as you move through the year, when you have a home improvement question, please call us. Trust us. We are here to help you get the project done short of standing by and handing you the tools. We will talk you through the project and help you make the right choices as you plan your work in your home, your money pit, the one that you love this coming year. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. You live in a body pit.